0: Thank you. It is a gift. It is a gift to be with you. I wasn't expecting all this, Pastor Dan. I mean, I I, I grew up going to Baptist churches, but we didn't do all that worship. We, that was beautiful. I, I, my grandmother was Baptist, and she said, uh, "You don't have to be Baptist to go to heaven, maybe, but why take a chance?" Uh, and so <laughs> we grew up. And then I got Methodist, and I got Pentecostal, and I've been mentored by Catholics. And I guess at the end of the day, we just have one church, you know, uh, and. I heard one pastor say. Uh, heard one pastor say, Jesus is coming back, so we got to get this thing together because he's not coming back for a harem; he's coming for a bride. And, and so, you know, as I think, part of what's been beautiful is we've been learning what it means to follow Jesus, and we have eyes to see wherever we we find God at work, and uh, growing up in East Tennessee was great. I, I felt loved in the church, and uh, but I began to see a pattern in my own life that every summer we'd go to these retreats and have a spiritual high, you know, and we'd come to the altar and get born again, then we'd go the next year and get born again again, you know, and I. I did that six or eight times. Uh, if you haven't done it, I highly recommend it, you know, but but at the end of the day, I, I began to realize there's got to be more than being a Christian than just getting born again again every year, uh, and, and it's got to affect and get integrated into our soul and into our whole life, you know, that... Uh, uh, my friend Tony Campolo says, yeah, a lot of times we come to the altar singing just as I am, and we leave just as we were and keep living just like we always have, you know. And I started to see that in my life, that I believed Jesus was the Son of God, died for my sins, rose from the dead, but it wasn't necessarily affecting the way that I live. I began to see that you can be a believer in Jesus and not follow Him, not do all the things He said. And, and so I started reading the words of Jesus. And uh, i got to admit, it messed with me. Because I was such a good kid, made straight A's, went to Sunday school every week, you know. I was prom king. It was a small town, you know. Uh, but I... <laughs> I began to read the things that Jesus said, and it messed with me. You know that Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest, become the least. And I started to wonder if I was after all the things that Jesus said. You know, if you, uh, you should not worry about tomorrow. Live like the lilies and the sparrows. And I didn't know what that meant for my retirement fund. You know, I didn't know what that meant for my future. Seeing Jesus saying, love our enemies, what's that mean in a world of Al-Qaeda and ISIS? What does it look like? What would, what would the world look like? If we read the Gospels again and just said, what if Jesus meant the stuff He said? What if He meant the stuff He said? That's what we started doing. And and I I moved into Philadelphia I studied sociology and I studied the Bible. I like how Carl Barth said we got to read the Bible in one hand, but we got to read the newspaper in the other hand because our faith has to connect to the world that we live in. That we can't just promise people life after death when a lot of people are asking, Is there life before death? Like, does our gospel have anything to speak into the pain and the injustice that people uh, have right now? And I mean, I'm, I, don't get me wrong, I'm excited about the afterlife and we'll. Party like there's no tomorrow, and there won't be, you know. um. But at the end of the day, I I don't think that Jesus just came to prepare us to die, but to teach us how to live. And that uh, Jesus, as he talks about the kingdom of God, it's not just something we hope for when we go up, but something that we're to bring down while we live, right? That we're to bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And I, I believe for me, that meant that I I had to begin to see the world with new eyes. I had to see the possibilities of God's kingdom breaking through the brokenness of this world. The possibility of people being loved back to life again. And so this story, uh, you know, as we moved into North Philadelphia, one of the first memories I had was... uh, We would walk to the store to get food, and in order to get to the the grocery store, we we had to walk down Kensington Avenue, which is a troubled street. It's a a street that's notorious for drug trafficking and and prostitution. And so one day, my my community mate, we're walking down the street together, and uh, on our way to the store, I was propositioned by this woman on the avenue. That was awkward, hadn't had that happen a lot in East Tennessee, so I I just kind of said no, and we went on to the store and came back to the house, and then we start to unload the food that we had gotten, and I noticed that the bag of bread that I had picked out had a little rip in the side, and all the bread was kind of crusty and stale, and my friend says to me, uh, she says, oh, that's okay, I've got the receipt, we'll just go back, I'm like, Awesome. You know, we're going to have to walk back. Uh, so we walked back and uh, we got a receipt and we we go and exchange our bread. No problem. But then on the way back, I saw that woman, that same woman, she's down in the alleyway and she's just hunkered down, shivering in the cold. And we knew that we couldn't just pass her by you know we we went down and we started talking to her and we asked her her name and uh, uh, she just started pouring her heart out and and then we, we could tell that she was cold so we said yeah if you need a s- safe place to come back to we've got a little uh, house around the corner you can come to it and you can rest if you need to if you need somebody to talk to we're there for you if you're hungry we got some good food got some good bread you know and uh, and she comes back and she walks back to the house with us and as soon as she walks in the door, she just falls apart. She just starts weeping and weeping. And then my friend Michelle is just holding her in her arms, rocking her back, back and forth. But as she, she kind of gathers herself, she she looks up and says the strangest thing. She goes, You guys are Christians, aren't you? And I checked my T-shirt. I'm like, no. Uh, and, uh, I mean, we don't have a sign outside, you know, flashing repent or burn. Like, there's nothing. I was like, how did you know, you know? And she said, she said I, I know because I can see it in your eyes. She said, I can feel it in your heart. She said, I used to be so in love with Jesus that I used to shine like the stars in the sky. She said, I was so in love with God, I had a fire inside of me. And then she said, But it's a cold, dark world. I've lost my shine on these streets. This world has killed the good in me. And I don't feel that fire anymore. And we we wrapped our arms around her. We prayed that she would uh, hear that whisper that we all need to hear. That she's beloved. She's beautiful. And she would feel uh, the the love of God light a fire in her again. and, and, And then she left. And weeks and weeks passed, and you know we didn't really think uh, we, we didn't think we'd see her again. But then one night there was a knock at the door. It's pretty late, so we answered the door, and uh, she just jumps in the house. She's like, "Hey!" And I didn't recognize her. I'm like, "Whoa! Do we know each other?" You know? And she's like, "Yeah. You just don't recognize me because I'm a new woman." She said, "I am on fire again," and she said, "God's love has lit something in me again." And then I knew who she was at that point. And uh, and then she said. I wanted to come back and say, thank you. And I wanted to give you a gift. And then you could almost see like, you know, uh, her back pedal a little bit. And she said, but I got to tell you, I lost everything I had on the streets, except I smoked a lot of cigarettes. And I always collected the Marlboro miles from the sides of the cigarette boxes, because you can trade them in for stuff. And she said, hold on, goes out to the car and She comes back with this shoebox that I can tell is just bubbling over with Marlboro Miles. And she's like, they're yours. (laughs) I'm like, awesome. Oh get me a Marlboro t-shirt or something that'll be great yeah my mom will love that you know and and, uh, but then I I came to find out I think it's one of the greatest gifts I've ever been given in my life you know that I held on to those and and I would actually come to find out they make really good page markers for your bible that's what I use that for and every time I open up the Word of God, and I see my Marlboro Mile, I'm reminded that we have a God that is loving people back to life again. That that is what God does. This is a resurrection story, right? This is a love story. And I don't know where we get it wrong. I, I mean, I think we've lost the, 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 this vision of love and grace and possibility and redemption and resurrection that's so at the heart of the Bible story. I mean, a few years ago, you may have seen this study, the Barna Research Group, right? With a big polling company uh, in Christianity. They went to every state in the United States. And Barna asked young non-Christians, What do you think of when you hear the word Christian? What comes to mind? The things they said are heartbreaking. In every state in the US, the the responses of what non-Christians said when they hear the word Christian was: number one, Christians are anti-gay, anti-homosexual. Number two, Christians are judgmental. Number three, Christians are hypocrites. I'll stop there because the list doesn't get much better, right? That we're irrelevant, we're out of touch. And the things that they said, it broke my heart because I thought of what did people walk away with after they met Jesus. And I'm pretty sure they didn't walk away scratching their head saying, why doesn't he like gay folks? You know, I, and, and what, I, what I saw as I read that list, I didn't see the fruits of the Spirit, right? And the very thing that Jesus said, they will know that you are Christians by, which is love, didn't even make the list. And it broke my heart as I thought we've become so often known more for who we've excluded than who we've embraced. More for what we're against than what we're for. And it's time that we have new eyes again. You know, that we see through the eyes of God's love and God's grace. And that's why I love, you know, when, you, when we read the Bible, it, it, I don't know how we miss it. Like, I, I learned things. So, uh, in Sunday school, you know, David is a man after God's own heart. On good days but he had some bad ones too, right? Like you read two chapters of the Bible and David breaks pretty much every one of the Ten Commandments, right? He ends up committing adultery. He lies about it. He, he ends up, you know, he's coveting his brother's wife. He ends up uh, having her husband killed. Uriah is killed to cover up what he has done, and yet grace gets the last word. Right? He hears the rebuke of of Nathan. He uh, and so many he goes on to write so many of the psalms, you know, and you can see this lament, uh, this wrestling with his own darkness. and And uh, I love the first chapter of Matthew, right? The first chapter of the New Testament is very interesting because it it starts with the genealogy of Jesus, right? That leads up to Jesus. So it goes all the way back, but then it gets to that uh, peculiar little point where David and Bathsheba, and it says, and Solomon was born. Matthew chapter 1 says Solomon was born, and Solomon was the son of David, but his mother was Uriah's wife. It's kind of like a gospel joke, I think, right? Like, don't forget, that was a mistake, right? David made a mistake, but God's grace got the last word. God's grace is bigger than our mistakes. And let me just say, when David took Bathsheba, he already had like seven wives. How many does a brother need? You know, but like he... uh, (laughs) David, yes, he had some problems. He was a broken man, but God uses broken vessels. And so as we look at that, he goes on to write so many of the Psalms, the biggest book of the Bible. We think of, uh, that, uh, of folks like Peter. You know, I think of Peter and I thought, you know, here's like the rock of the church. That's what his name means, right? The one that Jesus kind of handed the keys over to. And and uh, But Peter's always messing up, you know, I mean. I mean, a really bad day for Peter is when the soldiers come to get Jesus. And Peter, who has heard the sermon on the mount from the man himself, still picks his sword up, right? And he cuts one of the guy's ears off. You know the story, right? And, and P- uh, Jesus' response is awesome. I think probably the first thing he did was say, Peter, work on your aim, um, no, probably probably not. But he, you know, he scolds him. You cut the guy's ear off. He says, "No, you still don't get it. Enough of that. Put your sword back. You pick up the sword. We die by the sword. That's not what this is about." And then he picks up the ear. <laughs> this is cool, right? I think sometimes we read these stories. We're like, "Yeah, oh, he healed him. Yeah, he picked up his ear and put it back on." You know. And I think think of dinner that night with that fellow, right, he's having dinner with his family, he's like, kids, how was your day, kids are like, okay, got a lot of math homework, dad, dad's like, you know, uh, well, my day was weird, you know, we, we came to arrest this dude, one of his bros picked up a sword and cut my ear off, and then the guy that we came to arrest put my ear back on, <laughs> he'll tell that story for the rest of his life, you know. Grace, grace gets the last word. This grace is amazing. And, and you think of Saul of Tarsus. By every definition, was a terrorist. He looked more like Isis than a saint. He went door to door trying to kill Christians. He oversaw the execution, the brutal torture and execution of Stephen, this young man. He oversees that killing of the first martyr of the church, Stephen. And then he gets knocked off his rocker. He gets blinded by the grace of God. He ends up hearing Jesus say, why do you persecute me? And he ends up having such a radical conversion that he changes his entire name and his story he gets a detour, right? He ends up going on to write half of the New Testament and says, chief of sinners am I. He could say that because he was. You know? and, and yet, grace got the last word that uh, as you think of Saul, if we believe that a terrorist is beyond redemption, we could rip out half the New Testament. If we don't believe in grace, then this Bible would be a lot shorter. That this is a grace story. This is a story about redemption, about people who no matter how much the darkness has suffocated the light in us, God can bring us back to life. God can change the story. I- I think of that, one of my favorite stories, you know, is that the woman is caught in adultery. I mean, it doesn't start well, you know, but like, as the story goes, the woman's humiliated and she's brought out before the town and all of the guys are ready to kill her, you know, they have stones ready to kill her and it was a capital crime, you know, it was legal at the time, they could have justified that execution and as they're standing there with all their stones ready to kill her, Jesus just interrupts that circle, right, and The first thing he does is very strange. He digs in the dirt, right? And we were asking the kids, like, what do you think Jesus might have been writing in the dirt? And one of the kids said, maybe he wrote, if this doesn't work, run, woman. (laughs) Hey, I don't know. You know, we we don't know. We don't know what he wrote. We don't know what he wrote. But we do know what he did next. We don't know what he wrote in the dirt, but we know what he did next. And what he did next is just fascinating. He said, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And, of course, he'll remind them and all of us, if you've committed, uh, if you've looked at someone with lust in your eyes, you've committed adultery in your heart. If you've called someone a fool, you're a murderer in your heart that none of us is above reproach and none of us is beyond redemption. And the stones start to fall. And the men walk away. And the story ends with Jesus and the woman. It's awesome. He goes, where'd they all go? And we see that the only one who had any right to throw a stone had absolutely no desire. The closer we are to God, the less we want to throw stones at folks. And we we see that... You know, as I think of how we've gained uh, some of the reputation that we have in the world i think some of it is that we've been quick to point fingers at other people you know and i and then we have been seen. We've, we've kind of pretended that we're perfect. And I don't think that the world is looking for a perfect church. But I think they're looking for an honest church. A church that says, yes, we're trying to follow a holy God and we're not perfect. And yet, this is not about perfect people. It's about imperfect people falling in love with a perfect God. And it's that grace that changes us. And it should make us more gracious people. It should make us more gracious people. That I dream that a generation from now, when people hear the word Christian, that they would say love, they would say grace, they would say redemption, they would say reconciliation. The, the, you know, even right now, I just keep learning about the stories of redemption. I'm I'm doing a, a book on grace right now, and I, I got to meet a man I've wanted to meet for a long time. He has a very hard story. His name's Billy Neil Moore. He came back from the Vietnam War, he was very, uh, very troubled in many ways, and and he was financially strapped and uh, didn't f- see many options forward, and one of his uh, military friends, and he uh, decided to rob a house, and they had, he had no criminal history, but they decided to rob a house, and then uh, as they were robbing the house, the homeowner was killed. Billy felt the burden of the guilt and responsibility and shame of that, and he actually wanted to kill himself, he said, I, how can I live with what we've done? If I could push the button on my own execution, I would. In fact, he tried to hang himself. But then, but then, the victim's family, the victim's family, they were Christians. And they reached out to Billy and they said, we hate what you did, but we believe in Jesus. We believe in grace. We we, we believe in redemption, and so we want you to know that Jesus loves you. He became a Christian, and actually that family walked with him, and they stood in the way of his execution. They cried out to the very end, do not execute this man. He is a new man. And uh, and, uh, in a very rare move, uh, years and years later, the Georgia parole board, they not only stopped his execution, but they released him, and he's a pastor now. He's a pastor, and I think of that story. This is a scandal of grace, right? This is a story that's so amazing that I, I we we think that grace has limits, but God moves in ways we can't even imagine, and it's only I, I just keep getting my my mind expanded by God's love. You know, when 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 living in Philadelphia, um, right after September 11th, I mean, it was difficult. It was because we're we're right between D.C. and New York City, you know, and And almost everybody knew someone that was killed in 9-11. And and I remember the grief, the agony, the anger, everything that people felt it, uh, you know, began. And uh, there were so many different ways people responded. But one of the things that happened in Philadelphia is that someone hung a banner from City Hall in downtown Philadelphia right after September 11th. And it said, let's kill them all and let God sort them out. But then I began to hear other responses. I began to hear the stories of so many Christians. Uh, in fact, some of the, the families that uh, uh, were victims in 9-11, they got together as a support group to grieve together. And these were families that lost their immediate loved ones, their mothers, fathers, their children, their husbands and wives. They got together to grieve. But then as they began to see uh, the, the kind of spiral of violence, and, and they began to say, our grief is not a cry for war. And they went over to Afghanistan and Iraq, and Brother Dan, that's part of why I changed my hair. I had to go to Iraq and Afghanistan. I joined those families, and when I went over, they said, uh, you might need to cut your hair. I said, oh, because they'll know I'm American? They said, no, they'll think you're with Al-Qaeda. I said, well, get the scissors, you know, and uh, so we went, and... uh, (laughs) I went, everything that I was hearing, it looked like Jesus, right? Jesus saying, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers, love those who hurt you. I thought, I don't know what that means, but I want to know. And I went to Iraq, and we weren't sure what we were going to expect. I've been over in that area several times now, but the first time I went was in the middle of the bombing. And we were there in March of 2003. We were in Baghdad during the bombing, and, and I saw some of the most horrific things I've ever seen. But i got to tell you, I saw grace there. I saw the church alive. We were invited to worship services in Baghdad. This one worship service was thousands and thousands of Christians. It was packed full, the, the whole sanctuary. And we prayed for peace. And uh, the bishops from all the different denominations sat up front, and they, they came up, and they read a statement that they had written together uh, from the church to Muslim people. And it basically said, we want you to know that we love you. And we believe that you are created in the image of God. That you're made from the same dirt of this earth that we are, that God breathed life into. And we, we come from the same dysfunctional family that goes all the way back to Abraham and Sarah. And they, they, Then one of the pastors, one of the bishops, he pointed to the cross and he said, this cross doesn't make any sense to the wisdom of this world. But it's this cross that shows us another way that we can interact with evil without becoming it. That we can wear hatred down with love. And he said this uh, cross teaches us that we can stare in the face of even those who hate us and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And then they sang Amazing Grace in Arabic. I tried my best to hum along, you know. and But as I'm hearing that, I just got tears rolling down my cheeks. And I, I'm listening to a Amazing Grace in Arabic. And I'm so moved that I, uh, I just flood, flooded to the altar. And afterwards, I grab one of those bishops, and I can get a little excited, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm all uh, up in a Pentecostal hoorah, you know, and I'm like, I, I feel God here, I feel God here. And then I said, I'm talking real fast, I said, I, I, I said something ignorant. I said, uh, I had no idea that there's so many Christians in Iraq. And the bishop stopped me in my tracks, and he goes, yes, this is where Christianity started. And he pointed out the window, and he said, that's the Tigris River and the Euphrates. Have you heard of them? The Garden of Eden, he said, was right down the street. And then he said, you didn't invent Christianity in America. You guys just domesticated it. And he said, we're praying that you would go back and you would tell the church to remember who they are and that you would tell the church in North America that we in Iraq are praying for them. We're praying for them to remember the story of God's love and grace, the story of the things that Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, that we are called in this time to do that. His words kind of echoed in my soul and I, I'm reminded of how Dr. Martin Luther King said these are extreme times that we live in. And the question is not whether or not we will be extremists, but what kind of extremists will we be? Will we be extremists for hatred or s- extremists for love? And I don't know about you, but I think the world has seen enough extremists for hatred, right? Folks that blow up things and kill people in the name of their God, and please, we've seen that in the, In our own faith, you know, we've seen folks that blow up abortion clinics and a pastor in Florida that burns the Quran, and we've seen folks that hold signs that say God hates fags. We've seen sick Christianity to this day if you go to the KKK's website they've got a whole section on their theology of Christ. And so as we think of what it means to be Christian today I'm so excited because I think there is a movement of people who are in love with Jesus and we want our Christianity to look more like Him. Amen? We want to be known for our love and our grace we want to be known not for how we have segregated the world but how we've reconciled it not for how we've perpetuated the patterns of 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 violence but how we've interrupted them with the grace and the love of God amen so I want to invite you uh I want I want to invite you to pray with me as we close that and As we think of the world that we live in right now, that our our people need to know the love of Jesus, but they also have to feel that, right? And they haven't always felt that from the church. In fact, one of my one of my friends, who's a pastor, he said, uh, "I began to see that one of the great obstacles to Christ is is sometimes Christians who have a lot to say with our mouths, but." Not always a lot to show of God's love in our lives. And in the end, they're not going to know that we are Christians by our bumper stickers and t-shirts, but by the way that we love. And I'm convinced that the Gospel spreads not through force, but through fascination. Through people who love in ways that just fascinate the world. And that's my prayer, is that we would love like that. That we would love like that right where you are And, uh, I'll leave you with one last image of the kingdom that I, you know, growing up in East Tennessee, my uh, grandfather was a farmer. We always used to bale hay, you know, y'all know what that's like, right? A few of you, we bale hay. This one day, my grandfather got a, uh, a new truck and trailer that he brought. And he said, uh, we're going to break this in today. And we knew that was trouble, you know, so we start stacking the hay bales and, uh, just as high as you can imagine. We get this tower of hay, and, uh, and my grandfather says, all right, that'll work, you know? And then they hit the highway. My uncle's driving the truck. What they didn't notice is there's so much hay that it's so heavy, it's rubbing on the tires, right? It's a problem, thing called friction, you know? And so it gets hot, catches fire, and it's hay, so it's spreading. They're driving along, listening to their bluegrass, just, you know, People are waving, and my my uncle's like, oh, that's Henry. Hey, buddy. You know, and they're driving along. And then... look in the mirror, and my, my grandfather sees it, he's like, oh gosh, you know, we got fire, we got fire, and there, there's just inferno behind them, and they, they, uh, they, they, they start to talk, what are we going to do, what are we going to do, and it, my, my uncle just told me, they thought about driving the truck into the lake, and they're like, no, it's brand new, we got to do better now, you know, and so they, uh he said, so then we decide we'll just shake it off, you know, so they just shake it off, and they're, they're trying to shake it, and the hay bales are falling off, and, um, they're catching fields on fire, and, um, they're being followed by fire trucks, and they're putting the fires out, and eventually they end up taking care of that mess. And my grandfather told me that day, um, after he got out of jail—no, um, I'm just—I'm <laughs> just kidding. He said. We caught half of East Tennessee on fire this week. And I thought, that's what it looks like to live the kingdom of God, right? Not that we should be pyromaniacs, but that we should live in a way that leads a trail of God's love behind us, right? That we, we, we share the fire. We shine, like right? We shine God's love. That we carry the light of God into the world. So that's my prayer for your community. And it's been amazing to hear the stuff that you're already doing and that you're going to do. And so as we pray, I want to invite you to stand up. And uh, we're going to do something a little different, but I I promise it won't get that weird. uh, Is I want to invite you, rather than a lot of times we focus on the altar, I want to invite you to do just the opposite and focus out there. So just turn towards the wall nearest to you. Y'all on the balcony, just turn a 180 around. Y'all over here, face one of the walls. And as we look out there, Let's remember this morning that we have a world out there that is broken and hurting. That there is a contagion of violence in the world. Sin, racism, inequity, loneliness, lust, greed, is rampant in our streets and in our own hearts. As we look out there, let's remember today that God is not saying to a hurting world, come find the church. But God is saying to us, go ye into all the world. Go into the streets. Go into the prisons. Go to the ends of the earth and carry God's love. So we pray today, O oh God, that fire would come out of this place. That Your love would, would flow into the streets and the neighborhoods and people would see how this community at Bethesda loves one another. Why do they hang out with those people? Why do they welcome those people? Why do they love so recklessly and boundlessly? We pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, in Texas as it is in heaven, in Nepal, and Iraq, and all over the world. We pray for your kingdom and we pray that we might be your body that we might be Your hands and Your feet to love this world around us, to to see people come back to life again because Yours is a grace story, a resurrection story, a redemption story, O God. And we pray that a generation from now, when people hear the word Christian, that they will say love. They will say, those people remind me of Jesus. May it be so. Amen.